0: Welcome to the Fairest Love Shrine podcast, where we share spiritual and practical ideas for how to live family life with a beautiful self-sacrificing love. In this episode, we're talking with Illinois-based, licensed marriage and family therapist, Doug Hinderer. Today, we're going to talk about the Christian Foundation of Marriage. Welcome, Doug.
1: Thank you, Katie, it's great to be here.
0: Awesome, so tell us just a little bit about you and how you became a marriage and family therapist.
1: Sure. So um, I spent about 36 years in the corporate world. And then about five years ago, I was able to transition out of that and into marriage and family therapy, which is a dream I had really since I graduated uh, college in 1979. But uh, I got married right out of college and babies started showing up and I needed to make real money and there was no money for graduate school. So I put that dream on hold for about 36 years, and then finally, five years ago, I was able to hit the go button. And so, this is what I'm doing now, and I intend to keep doing this till the day I die. It's it's very rewarding work.
0: I can imagine very rewarding and very needed in this day and age for sure. To be sure. To be sure. So let's just dive in. We're talking Christian Foundation of Marriage. Um, so tell me, what do you think, or why do you think so many marriages end in divorce today?
1: You know, that's a great question because if we can get the answer to that, we can make a real positive difference in the world. I think a very foundational problem is couples don't have the, a true understanding of the nature of marriage. And mm-hmm. they go into it with a set of expectations that just can't be realized. And so they really don't understand marriage or God's design for
0: it. Interesting. So, and what do you, like God's design for it, like, tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, we, we've got to acknowledge first off that God was the creator of man and woman and therefore of marriage as well. And he made marriage part of our very nature. And if you go back to Genesis, you know, God created Adam and looked down and said, not good for him to be alone. Mm-hmm. I need to create a helpmate for him. And so he He created a, a, a woman. He didn't create, you know, another guy. That he can hang out with on Sunday afternoons and watch football. Mm-hmm. Well, he created a a, a a woman, so someone that he can unite with and form this this whole, right? And so, you know, we've got to we've got to go into marriage understanding what God created it to be, and what it what it is and what it isn't. And and so, you know, the the happiness comes from conforming ourselves to God's divine plan. But we have to know what that plan is, and then we can conform ourselves to it. And I think if we do a good job of that, then marriages generally thrive and do very well.
0: Interesting. So when we look at that then and the the whole design for marriage, like then what does or where does the role of love and marriage fit in? Like, how are we talking about that? Because I think a lot of people think of marriage as like, oh, it's this wonderful, like sunshine and rainbows all the time and yeah. happiness and great lovey doveyness, And so... How does that fit? <laughs> yeah, right. And you
1: know what? That is an important part of, of married love, but it's it's hardly sufficient. And I think a lot of people confuse infatuation mm. for love. Mm-hmm. And infatuation is a wonderful thing. And it's got to be there. It's that initial attraction that pulls a man and a woman to, together to investigate themselves and their relationship to see if, if marriage is possible. But uh, you know, we are created by love for love. And so love, marriage is the ultimate expression of that love between a man and a woman. I think, you know, one of the best ways to look at love, to understand, I mean, C.S. Lewis kind of nailed it with his book, The Four Loves. Mm-hmm. You know, and he built that on Aquinas and Aquinas built his stuff on Augustine and Augustine built his stuff on the early, you know, Greek philosophers. So this idea of four loves is probably about 3,000 years old, give or take. So it's withstood the test of time, I think. So so Lewis talked about four loves. And I believe all four of those need to be present for a good marriage. And the first one we talked about with philia, which Mm -hmm. is friendship, right? And that's based on common interests. So we both enjoy tennis. And so we have a friendship around tennis or bowling or stamp collecting or the arts, right? And so there needs to be a deep friendship within marriage, and there has to be common interests that the spouses share. Second is storge, and storge is affection, a a gentle caring for one another. You know, think about how you feel when you hold a small baby in your arms, right? And there needs to be this deep affection, this gentle caring between a husband and a wife as well for a marriage to, 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 to thrive. And then Eros, Eros is is more infatuation, it's more the emotional love. It's the love that that desires a physical union, you know, uniting of the bodies. And of course, that's a very important part of marital love as, as well. And it's from that union, of course, that new life comes into the world. And then the fourth is agape, which is, you know, which is unconditional and sacrificial love. I mean, Jesus is the role model for, for agape love. And that's this is the love we profess on our wedding day, You know, for better, for worse, for rich or poor, et cetera. This is this unconditional love. I am freely entering into this commitment to be with you for the rest of our lives, regardless of what happens. Mm-hmm. So I, all four of those loves need to be present for a good marriage.
0: Do you think, um, I wanna talk more about agape love in a second, but do you think that, um, people enter into marriages not really at the agape stage yet. And that often leads to unhappiness in marriage or maybe some of this divorce that we're seeing, like you enter into it. Cause like, Oh, you're friends. And like, why not? Or because you have that Eros love and it's very emotionally driven and it doesn't have the depth of an agape love.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so. And I think, you know, uh, I-, I think, I think one of the ways you can look at agape love is you subordinate the me in order to form the we. And so there's this lack of selfishness in agape love. And a lot of people go into marriage pretty selfishly that man, you need to make me happy. And if I'm not happy, well then I must have married the wrong person. And so they get that confused. Now, you know, there's there's four characteristics of agape love. It's permanent, exclusive, public, and fruitful. So so permanent, right? And and the church is always taught this clearly from the the beginning of the indissolubility of marriage. It is a permanent, it's a permanent union, right? And so in Matthew's gospel, it's clear. I mean, you know, he, he wrote, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, God is joined together. No human being must separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command that the man give the woman a bill of divorce and dismiss her? he, but Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. I say to whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is lawful and marries another commits adultery. So Christ very clearly said from the beginning, which goes Adam and Eve, from Adam and Eve, divorce was not part of God's plan, this permanency. And I think in the middle of there, there's a really important phrase our Lord uses that I've that I've experienced now time and time again in this work. And that's this the, the, the phrase of hardness of hearts. Mm. And once a person's heart hardens towards his or her spouse, okay. it's almost impossible to save that marriage. And so, I mean, the lesson there is if you're starting to feel your heart become hardened, get help. Mm-hmm. There's wonderful, wonderful ways out there. There's good science in terms of how to help marriages that are struggling. So hardness of heart is... Is the the you know that's the cancer in a marriage. So don't don't let your heart get hardened. You know, and so there are three. The way I look at it, anyway, I don't know if this is theologically exactly accurate, but I, I think there's three primary ends to marriage. The second of the three is unity, and so you know, uh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. They are united now. Okay, therefore God is joined together. No human being must separate. So. Uh, This idea of of unity that lasts forever, I think, is a really important part of agape love. Mm -hmm. And the other thing about indissolubility is it it, on a very practical level, it gives security to both your your spouse and to your children. Mm -hmm. So I feel secure now to give you the gift of myself, to give you the total gift of myself, as as St. John Paul II talked about. Uh, because you're not gonna cast me aside. You're not gonna just use me and then and then discard me when you're done with me, right? And so I feel safe in giving myself to you. And children need that stability in their life too, that my parents will always be there for me. Um, and uh, so it makes it easy. Children who grew up in, in broken homes or single parent homes have a lot of other struggles in life generally. That children have grown up in intact uh, families don't have. You know that's why there are no ifs in the wedding vows, right? There's no, there's no. I will stay with you as, as long as yeah. you, you know, or this or that, or if, but if you do that, I'm I'm gone. There are no ifs, right? It's 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 indissoluble. It's permanent. And I I think it's really important to note that Satan hates marriage, and Satan's primary goal. Uh, is to divide couples. And, you know, Sister Lucia, you know, one of the seers of Fatima, mm-hmm. uh, is quoted often in saying that, and I, I pulled it up here, but the final battle between the Lord and the reign of Satan will be about marriage and the family. Don't be afraid, she added, because anyone who operates for the sanctity of marriage and family will always be contended and opposed in every way because this is the decisive issue. Mm -hmm. Our Lady has already crushed its head. So how great it is that we have this shrine to Our Lady of fair love at a time when marriage and family is under such severe attack by Satan. And it would appear on the surface that he's having some success. right? You know, the very definition of marriage is challenged, divorce rates and broken homes and and children being born, you know, mostly without a father in the picture, mm-hmm. these numbers are so, so discouraging. So we've got this shrine, that's is gonna be this beacon of hope for all of us. And, you know, keep in mind that Satan, I mean, Satan hates marriage, I think, for two reasons. A, he looks at a married couple and he's reminded of Christ, the bridegroom, and his church, the bride. Mm-hmm. And he hates Christ because Christ destroyed Satan. Christ brought forgiveness into the world. Christ open the doors of heaven. And of course, Satan hates that. So he looks at a, at a happy husband and a wife and he thinks of Christ and how Christ has destroyed him. So he hates marriage. And third, and second way, I think he hates, he hates the family because the family not, reminds him of the Trinity. Church. You got the father, you got the son and the love between them results in a person, in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And he looks at the love between a husband and a wife, and that love then results in a person being created, a child being created. And so he just, he hates the family. And so we just got to appreciate even the best of marriages, Satan is going to try his best to, to drive wedges between the husband and the wife.
0: Sure. That makes sense. I was thinking too, as you were talking, like so, so much of this goes back to, to Genesis, right? You go and you look at Genesis and like the entire like prototype of what marriage is meant to be and what God planned for it is very clearly put there in Genesis. So you know, we were talking first about that, that first um, characteristic of that. I got, I love that permanence, but then exclusivity, right. Is the second. And I think, again, we see that very clearly in Genesis, right?
1: Absolutely. I, yeah. The, the second chapter of Genesis is really clear. I mean, verse as well, but the second one, you know, where God gave, uh, um, he brought all the animals in front of Adam and, and God named, or Adam named all of the animals and the birds of the air, et cetera. But none none proved to be the suitable helper, right? And so God cast a deep sleep on Adam, removed one of his ribs, closed up the place with flesh. And then around that rib that he had taken, he, from the man, he built the woman, he built Eve, okay? And he brought her to the man and the man said, this one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. For out of man, this one has been taken. And that's why a man leaves his uh, father and mother and clings to his wife and the two become one body, right? And so it's it's exclusive, one man and one woman, not one man and two women or one and only one, right? And and it so, so the question is, why did God pick a rib? (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, I mean, he had a lot of other bones he could have chosen, right? And so part of the thought is if he'd have chosen perhaps a bone out of the skull, a head bone, it might have implied that the woman was somehow superior over the man. Mm. Or if he'd have chosen, say, a bone out of the foot, it might have implied that the man was to keep the woman subjected and under Mm. his foot and be Mm -hmm. in control of the woman. But he chose a rib bone so that they go through life side by side. Mm -hmm. The bone from the rib, from my rib, just goes horizontally into the woman's rib. And now we go through life side by side. Mm -hmm. And I think the other significance of the rib bone is that it's the bone that protects the heart. It surrounds the heart and protects that. And the heart is such an important part of what marriage is all about. So I think there's real reason why God chose the, the, the rib bone.
0: And mm-hmm. the rib
1: bone. The, you know, and the other thing, this, this idea of exclusivity is so important that God actually gave us a commandment to protect it. He gave us the ninth commandment. Do not covet thy neighbor's wife, right? And 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 our Lord says in Matthew's gospel, uh, Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with his heart. So, this exclusivity is so important, but so fragile
0: mm-hmm. that
1: God gave us a commandment to protect it that says, don't even look, don't even think about it, don't even go close. Mm-hmm. Keep members of the opposite sex at arm's length. And I, I run into a lot of that kind of issue. We call it in, in, my, in, in this profession, we call it an emotional affair. Where you just get too close to a person of the opposite sex, and you start sharing affection and start giving part of your heart, and that causes great merit- trouble in your marriage. So, so we've got to be very careful to protect this exclusivity, uh, especially in in our world. So, of the three primary ends of marriage, the third one is the mutual sanctification of each other to get each other into heaven. So, that's part of the of, of the reason God created marriage was through this mutual support, mutual sanctification of each other. And that's part of what we do in a very exclusive and totally committed way.
0: Mm -hmm. So interesting. So we're talking through the four characteristics of the agape love. One is permanent, two is exclusive, and number three is public. So explain a little bit more what you mean by public. Why do couples get married in public? Like what, what is that?
1: Sure, 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 sure. And, I, you know, the church has always been very clear about that, too. I mean, it requires the marriage to take place before an ordained minister
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, you know, and at least two witnesses. So you can't, you know, and, and even, even society, even the state recognizes this. If a couple lives together,
0: mm-hmm.
1: nobody recognizes them as married, not even the state. You can't file your taxes together. You can't do any of that stuff. But stand in public in front of just three people, the minister of... And, and two witnesses and just say, yes, I want to be married to you forever. And you are. married. And so it's, it's important to make this public declaration that my identity now is changed permanently and exclusively with this one person. So I am no longer Doug Hinderer. I am now Doug Hinderer, husband. And you can never separate that now from my identity. I have permanently given up the status of a single man and have taken on the status of a married man and so we exchange vows right so we enter into this agreement that this is my love for you and this is how I will honor you and love you every day of my life We generally wear wedding rings so that's a public statement that I have entered into this irreversible irreplaceable relationship with a with another person for with in my case with a woman, for the rest of my life. And we go through life side by side. Generally, there's a change of names. And generally the woman takes takes the man's name to signify we are now one. The two have become one, All right, And so it's very clear that that we do it publicly and we, it's for everybody to know that marriage is from God and it leads us to God, okay? And so it's a public declaration that we enter into freely, but irrevocably and exclusively.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and then let's talk about the fourth one um the fourth kind of this characteristic of an agape love which is fruitful.
1: Yeah. Um
0: and and what does that mean? Yeah yeah yeah
1: I mean fruitful I mean agape love is diffusive right it it, it demands to to spread it demands it's contagious it it it, it wants to grow and to increase and, and and share itself right and that's the fruitfulness. So you know I, when I'm working with couples I often ask them you know what was God's first commandment that he gave to mankind. And some people say, well, let's see, there were 10 of them, so maybe it was, you know, <laughs> love God and have no strange gods before you. Well, there are more than 10 commandments, but, but the very first one is in the first chapter of Genesis, the 28th verse, where God says, uh, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, all right? So I don't know how many verses there are in the Bible. Tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. There's a lot. The 28th one and the first commandment was to bring new life into the world, to be fruitful, okay? So that is of the three primary answer, that's the first one. He brought Adam and Eve together and he said, bring new life into the world. And so that's, that's the first, the primary end of marriage. And because marriage is a life-giving reality, right? Um, it's a sacred and a holy state through which God brings new life into the world. And so in a very real way, the decision to marry is also the decision to have children. Those are not two separate decisions. They are one and the same because that's how God created that. You know, Pope Pius XI Um uh, in one of his encyclicals on on marriage, said among the blessings of marriage, the child holds the first place, the very first place. And you know, these children are destined to populate heaven. And you know, uh, somewhere I, I should look it up, but I, I don't know. Somewhere in Paul, one of Paul's epistles, you know, he asked. I think maybe it's the Romans. You know, what have you? What do you have that you haven't received? Right? Everything you've got is a gift from God. So what can you possibly give back to God that he didn't give to you first? Well, I think, I think there is some one thing we can give God that he hasn't given us first. And I think that's a human life. You know, and realize, and again, I'm not a theologian, so this may not be theologically correct, but my view of the world is the last thing God created was Eve, was the woman. And I think that was his last and his greatest creation. And he put all of the beauty of all of his created world into Eve, which is why all Adam needed to do was look at her and say, yes, this is who I want to unite myself with for all of my time on this earth, right? Just by her sheer beauty alone. I mean, you know, Adam didn't say to God, well, you know she looks pretty good. I think I'll take her down to Starbucks. We'll get a coffee. I'll get to know her a little bit. I'll get back to you about whether or not. Nah, just on eyesight alone. <laughs> yes, this is who I want to unite myself with for all of eternity. So, and he hasn't, God hasn't created anything since then, with the exception of the soul, the immortal soul that each of us have. But he doesn't create the soul until after we give him the body, after we give him a human body, then he creates the soul. And so in a very real way, we participate in the act of creation. And I think God almost waits for us. He does. He waits for us. We create the body. He creates the soul. And yes, the child is a gift from God. But I think it's also our gift to God because each of these lives that we give him are destined to worship him for all of eternity in heaven. And I think that's thats a that's a scary thought that God has given us that power, but we can actually give God a gift that will be with him for all of eternity. So that's the fruitfulness, I think, of, uh, uh, of, of married life that's so critical and that often gets overlooked, I think, in our world where children are often viewed as, as a burden or something that gets in the way of my freedom as opposed to the very purpose why I'm here is to, is to give the gift of these children to God
0: mm-hmm it's so interesting as we're as we're talking through these four characteristics of the agape love and what you were saying earlier how much kind of Satan hates marriage and you can kind of see if you look at each of these individually like how Satan is attacking each of them you know the permanence but now we have prenups and we have so much divorce and so many people who are entering into marriage being like well if it doesn't work not a problem I can get out or the exclusive which you know, I think even in just our like current lingo, we downplay that in the sense of like work wives and work husbands, where it's just something that I'm someone I'm really intimately close to at work. And therefore it's just, it's degrading just a little bit the real wife or the real husband or the idea of that, which maybe isn't even present yet. Um, you know, or even the public aspect that, you know, a lot of people don't wear rings anymore or don't, you know, like, it's just, it's very interesting to see how kind of Satan can hit each of these yeah. and just worm his way in.
1: It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. his fingerprints are all over all of these, and especially the fruitful thing. I mean, so many people, they want to limit the size of their children, one or two the size of their family. And then, of course, of course, you know, the scourge of abortion, which just deprives so, so very many children of, of life. And that somehow... The child is looked at as as a bad thing and a thing that I can just cast aside and and, and just get rid of because it's inconvenient right now mm-hmm. for me to have a child. So, yeah, and I think it's important, uh, and it, you know, the, the sacramental nature of uh, of uh, of marriage is critical to realize that that there's grace there, mm-hmm. and you know, but but appreciating the fact that. Because of Satan and because of original sin, there will be suffering in all marriages. There will be hard times. Both the husband and the wife have defects. We have flaws. Uh, We're not as virtuous as we should be. You know, we lack virtue and we have our vices. And those things will lead to conflict between a husband and a wife. That doesn't mean it's a bad marriage. That means we're flawed and we're defective. And we're victims of original sin. And Satan is constantly whispering in our ear to focus on the negative. Focus on what's wrong with your spouse. Focus on the fact that they didn't smile at you this morning when you got out of bed. Focus on the fact that, you know, they didn't say, they didn't give you a cup of coffee when you asked for it right away. You know, focus on the negatives and not the positive. Um, it's all that, that doesn't mean you made a mistake. It doesn't mean you married the wrong person. And, you know, and even just factually, right? We know about half of all marriages end in divorce in our country. The divorce rate for second marriages
0: mm-hmm. is about
1: 67%.
0: Oh, wow. So it doesn't get better the second time around.
1: The divorce rate for third marriages, 75%. Oh, wow. So, right. So practice does not make perfect. Mm-hmm. And you've got the best shot at it with the one that God picked out for you from the beginning. And, uh, so, I mean, that's the idea. So understanding what God's design is and it's, it's, um, I I, I like to say this to couples Mm
0: -hmm.
1: again, my opinion may not be theologically perfect, but God did not create marriage for your happiness. He created marriage for your holiness. He created marriage to get you into heaven because you need help to get there. You can't do it on your own, you need help. But here's the the secret, I mean, here's the deal. If we do the holiness thing well, if we see marriage as the proving ground for us to grow in holiness, happiness is the byproduct of holiness. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as an unhappy saint. Right, you know, there's no grumpy. There is no patron saint of grumpy, right? There's no like, <laughs> no. this saint was the grumpiest person on the face of the earth, and now he's a saint. So you too can be grumpy and a saint. Mm-hmm. You know, holiness brings happiness with it. And so if we focus our intent, uh, if we focus marriage as as the place where we're going to become holy, then even our crosses mm-hmm. in marriage are 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 avenues for holiness. Mm -hmm. And that results in happiness. So the key, I think, is to understand God's design. If we do that, put that into practice, we will, in fact, have happy marriages with suffering
0: attached, Mm -hmm.
1: but we'll still be happy.
0: Yeah, to that point, too. It's true. You don't hear saints of the grumpy, but you very rarely hear of a saint who hasn't suffered, right, in whatever way. Maybe they've gotten the stigmata, or maybe they come from a really hard, difficult family life, or maybe they were misunderstood in their, you know, community, whatever, like, and yet they're still happy, they're still holy, but they're still suffering a lot. And that there's a lot of redemptive qualities to suffering. Absolutely right. For
1: sure. I I could not agree more.
0: So Doug, what would you say for people who are like, okay, I get it, right? Of the four types of loves, like agape is the one that I'm striving for. What are some easy ways to kind of, to work at growing in that? in general, whether you are married now, whether you are not married, whether you are widowed or a widower, like how can we grow more in agape love?
1: So, you know, well, first and foremost, I think is is prayer, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think we 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 need to do a better job of praying for our spouse and about our spouse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And to ask God, okay, what, what does my spouse need today? What's going on in my spouse's life? What stresses are they under at work or at home? You know, mm-hmm. what do they need from me today? So I think, I think prayer is, is critical. I think the other thing, so virtue is very important. I think the most important virtue, and they're all important, of course, and it's <laughs> hard to rank them. But I think the most important virtue in marriage is forgiveness. No one can hurt you as much as the person who you've given your entire heart to and your entire life to.
0: Mm -hmm. And there will be
1: pain there. Uh, Unintentionally, almost always. You know, very rarely does a person wake up in the morning and think, how can I hurt my spouse today? Oh, that's what I'll, I'll go do that first. But we do hurt each other because we're tired and we're selfish and we're focused on what we want and, you know, we're impatient. and So we hurt each other. And so the ability to forgive is, is indispensable mm-hmm. in agape love, and uh, we have to get really good at forgiving. And the good news is our spouse gives us a lot of chances to practice the virtue of forgiveness. And I think if we look at that from a supernatural perspective, and if we grow in, in, for, in, in forgiveness, our marriages have a really good chance of being successful.
0: Mm-hmm. I love it. Great. So thank you so much for sharing this with us. If you had um, one takeaway that you want our listeners to walk away from one thing that you were like, Oh, if they remember nothing else from this entire podcast, (laughs) I want them to know, what would that be?
1: Wow. Oh man. That's a good question.
0: You covered a lot of things. So that might be difficult to narrow down to one, but
1: yeah, I would say, listen, um, I guess I would say, listen, marriage is here for your holiness and look at it as a vehicle to grow in your love of God. And the more you love your spouse, the more you love God. And I, I came across, uh, I, it was something written by a priest at one point, and he was talking to his, to his mother about this lifelong marriage that she had. And, which, and she said she was praying once and she asked God, how can I love you more? How can I love you more? Mm -hmm. And she heard, love your husband more. Mm. And I think that's the key, right? If you want to love God, love your spouse more. And the way for married people to love God is through loving your spouse. So I guess I'd put, I would put that out there.
0: I think that's a good takeaway. I love it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ferris Love Shrine podcast. If you enjoyed it, we'd love for you to visit us at ferrisloveshrine.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Ferris Love Shrine. Learn more about our project